You're listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast Nordics, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I'm Sam Williamson. I help connect businesses with their tech talent. Today, I'm your host. Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by Aaron, Darshana, and Christian to discuss the topic of a tech stack showdown. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Christian, would you like to kick us off? Yeah, so I'm an uh, IT specialist with the DSV. And yeah, you proposed the, the whole idea of a podcast to me and I find podcasts interesting. And yeah, I've been considering starting my own. So um, I thought it would be a great opportunity to join you guys today. Uh, thank you for joining us, Christian. And look forward to, to seeing if we were able to put a podcast together in the future as well. Uh, we have another first-timer with us here today, Darshana. Would you like to give us an introduction? Hello. Hi. Uh, yeah, so I'm Darshana. I'm working at Musk as a you know, senior software engineer at Neat Engineer. So into full stack development. And so I joined the podcast. It's actually due to the interesting topic because the full stack, like as a developer, like technically stack is crucial to me for everyone who like, to success in their endeavor. So I really like to know what are the features insights about tools and attack that can also be serving them. So yeah, looking forward to hearing everyone's uh, opinion. Thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us, Dalashala. Uh, really great to have you on the podcast. And we do have someone who is returning for, I believe, their second podcast, Aaron. Yes, Sam. So this is Aaron. I have been working at Musk as an engineering manager. And uh, so I chose this question uh, because it's uh, resonated well with my uh, the current scenarios, I want to understand what tech stack the other things are using, and that might le- help me to leverage uh, the right choice of technology. Yeah, I'm excited. Me too. And it, big thanks to Aaron on this one uh, because it is the topic, uh, a passion project of his that we've been working to, towards for a while to to get this together. So uh, without him, um, we wouldn't have this topic today. So thank you. But now I suppose we've established a context around each of you, we can move on to the topic in focus. You all have a question or a statement around this tech stack showdown. And as usual, we'll work our way around the room to pose your question to each other, the reasons behind it, and then you all have an opportunity to give your say. Now, Christian, coming to your question first, I believe that you're wanting to know what is the most well-researched choice of framework or tech you ended up choosing that perhaps you regret the most and where did you feel that it went wrong before we hand over to the other guys christian could you perhaps give us some context about this one yeah so over the last few years i've uh, run into a number of situations where we've chosen a tech stack or spent a lot of time and energy on yeah building a tech stack or choosing a specific framework or whatever a lot of time and research man hours went into it and then maybe either we went ended up not using it or it ended up not meeting the expectations we had. Uh, even though it was well-researched from our part, we felt like we did our due diligence. It ended up being wasted time. So it's more of a whole, maybe there's a way to avoid wasting the time and avoid like, yeah, having all this wasted man hours. Fantastic. Well, Aaron, I believe you have the, the luxury of kicking us off here today. Thanks, yeah. I mostly try to conclude on a framework which you know fulfills the product requirement and if, if it's able to achieve all the necessary features then it will be you know easy and uh, 
So one incident which resonated well with me is uh, so we built a node service uh, in one of our core application, and most of our front end was in JavaScript. So most of our team was focused on uh, JavaScript. That's why we went with Node, and we had a pretty good outcome. And so then we had one subservice which we want to build it. Then uh, due to lack of uh, developer availability, then we had a certain Java developer for a short period of time. So then we decided, decided to do with Spring Boot, even though we were able to achieve it well. But uh, then later we didn't have a Java developer, then we only had JavaScript developer. So then, uh, you know, tightly coupling with the technology was a little challenging for me in that time. So with this, uh, then I, we have decided to migrate back to Node. And we were able to achieve a lot of reusability within the code. So that was very easy. And also it was it helped me to scale up the enterprise level which, uh, with better deployment and understandability of the code. Yeah, so this is this is it from my side. Darshan, have you got anything to add? Uh, yeah, so, um, so I would like to relate one of my experience that I went through it was exactly like uh, it was at my first uh, job as a junior, a junior GT. So at that time, the, the our team, uh, as we already when I joined the company, they have already selected the technical stuff. Uh, so what challenges we went through and how we understood, okay, this is not going to work. So it was, uh, I think, more than 10 years back. So at, at that time, the uh, hybrid mobile application or like this uh, frameworks like Cordel, like by Apache, then rebranded in SoundCat, which used the web view of the mobile app, like the mobile phone, to like uh, render the UI that they would have seen charts, GPS, and CSS, right? So in that time, it was uh, it had the hype. Hey, you you just need a JavaScript developers, and you can build it easily for all the mobile devices in the world. Like so, this was a biggest selling point, and. So they said, hey, Lash, uh, so you have to develop this app, and this is the requirement. And this is the our chosen technical stack. We use PhoneGap. And on top of it, there is you know, a front end as a framework called uh, Sencha Touch, uh, which was, uh, I don't know, is it a thing today? But uh, at that time, this uh, framework was, was very popular. So, so I started developing this, and everything was good, when I'm good, but when it's how to distribute this across and testing various mobile devices because BlackBerry was the thing those times. Like, so you have BlackBerry and Windows phone and Android phones and also iPhone. So, like, if I remember correctly, like in the Android uh, devices, it was Gingerbread uh, operating system and also JDBs was the thing, like KitKat, those kind of operating systems. So, we had to support. So, the thing was the app works in one and it doesn't work in another. Like you get the like on those apps, white screen because there were so many limitations and in, in, in between the each Android version and its web view and also black etc. So the, what I learned so, so then I asked like as a junior day, hey, okay, so like what do you thinking like when you select it, which like we are facing so many challenges. So I think the learn is like doing your research will better, not from the point of view of how to use the technology instead of doing that like set some ground rules like what you're trying to achieve and what other capabilities like and what is the feasibility and like what's the client want or the customer want uh, 
uh, from this product and how reliable it should be. So instead of trying to quickly jump into a tutorial and learning how to use it, and then before before that, you need to learn into like well, how much time into market, etc. So this was a very learned lesson. So we fall back. We started using native <laughs> at that time, so Java and um, at that time like Objective C to start quickly develop it, and it was much faster, less buggy, and it's worked. So this was a like a long uh, period of my time <laughs> when I was started my career. Yeah, so this experience that I just want to share with you. Uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you, Darshana. Christian, have you got an answer to, to your own question? I'm sure uh, this may have come from from somewhere, some experience. Yeah, it does. Um, and the funny thing is, I actually remember the whole thing Darshana is talking about. And I was actually looking into it recently because I was like, there must be an easy way to do that. And yeah, they, they still haven't figured it out like 10 years later. <laughs> um. But yeah, my own, um, say, I think it was five or six years ago when we needed to start a, a new network project. Um, and we were kind of set on a very tight budget. Um, so we actually ended up spending a lot of man hours uh, for like two or three people to kind of make up for the very tight budget constraints we had. Uh, and in the end, we ended up with a, a platform that was basically useless. Um, the networking equipment was too cheap to handle the amount of connections we had. Uh, the servers was kind of like, one of them was kind of a patch together, helping of some new stuff and some old stuff. Uh, and then we had one brand new server and those two couldn't talk together and it just became a whole mess uh, because of that, because the old hardware stack, of course, was like too slow versus the new stack. So there was like a whole performance issue between them. Um, and at the end, I think it would just have been nicer if we, instead of maybe had spent so many man hours that we had just uh, either voiced up and said, we, we need to either a big about it to do this, or we just shouldn't do it. Um, we, of course, kind of needed the network stack. So it, it kind of would have been better just if we could somehow gotten a bigger budget for it. Um, but yeah, it was an, an arbitrary constraint that actually ended up costing us probably like three or four times what we spend on equipment in man hours instead, right? No, it's good to know, Christian. And I, I suppose I want to pose a, a bit of my own question and on the back of this to you guys. Now, you all mentioned that you did a lot of research going into to choosing kind of what framework or what technology you end up choosing. Is there like a golden rule on how much research you should do? And, and when do you like take a chance on some of these two new technologies or frameworks or do you typically go for the more recognized ones that you know have the backing of perhaps these big companies and um, maybe we can go around the room again and see what you guys think. Aaron, should we start with you? Yeah, I think the selection of the technology is crucially based on the, the time and how much time you have to deliver and how many people you have in the team to deliver and uh, how fast you need to reach to the market. So these well, some important thing which will decide the project. And uh, so, uh, should I start with my question? Um, uh, to see if uh, Darshan, I've got uh, Christian anything to add uh, onto to that question around research, and then then we will come yeah. to your question now. Thanks, uh, Darshan. What are your thoughts? Is that is there like a golden rule on how much research you should do, or what technologies to choose? Okay, so that so in my opinion, like. Research you can do for there's there energy. <laughs> so 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 you need to find like what I like to do is like let's say you need to uh, I I wouldn't 
like to call it a technical stack, I would say there's a new technology, piece of technology that you need to educate due to certain research, because that's the only technology that, because that's how you start looking into like uh, this, uh, this, uh, this other day, right? That's, that's the exception. So when that happens, what I would like is create a checklist. Okay. This, this other piece that I'm trying to achieve. And so that would set a boundary on where should I stop my research? Uh, okay. So then I can look into the technical stack and does it comes with this che uh, checklist? Like how, how can I tick off how much? Then I compare with other ordinators, how far they let me, uh, tick off this uh, checklist. So depending on that, then I think we can set up a boundary. And then that could set up the day. I mean, and this is just my opinion, uh, because otherwise you'll be in a rabbit hole, digging deep, deeper, deep into the different layers because technically it's technically not, not built over just a couple of weeks. It's done by many people with this open source. It's like thousands of developers contributed that technically stack all the courses. So this is my two cents on it. Thank you. Yeah. You want to try and avoid those rabbit holes, um, and, and as they go, Christian, just your thoughts, I suppose on that before we go over to Aaron's question. Yeah, I, I also think it's very difficult because it's the whole, uh, yeah, you can, can research until you get gray, right? Um, but there has to be some way off. In, in recent years, myself, I've kind of started to try and do like uh, some weighted scoring on how to at least approach different facets of the, the project. Um, like the whole, what's it called, the 80% rule. If we can get 80% there, it's good enough. Um, and then maybe also just asking more questions for, for example, we, it was pretty clear from the beginning in our case that the budget was not for what we were trying to do. So maybe we should either have, have asked some questions or maybe just have said like, it's not realistic within the budget. Uh, so maybe we should increase the budget or figure out something else out. Right. Um, yeah. So I think it's more important to just ask questions and maybe also if you, if you spend three days on something that seems kind of trivial, then maybe ask yourself, is, is it worth the X amount of, of money you've now put into this, right? Yeah, I love that. Uh, I think it's great highlighting the 80-20 rule. If I'm not not mistaken, I believe it. the saying goes, what it takes 20% of the time to do 80% of the work, and then the last 20% takes 80% of the time. So yeah, love that. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. I really hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Let's move on to the next question. Aaron, this one's yours, uh, and, and I suppose in this one, you're looking to find out in what instances has the selection of a tech stack been a crucial factor in determining the success or failure of a project. And I suppose if you're able to, guys, it'd be great to hear some examples with this one. Um, and I suppose, Aaron, let's come to you to kind of give some context before we hand over to the rest of the panel. Yeah. So how do you measure the success and failure? And uh, like once you decide a technology and when you see the outcome, uh, do you, how do you retrospect it and see, okay, this is a 
choice I've made this outcome I come to then hope that influence it to decide on the next project awesome thank you Aaron Tarshana we're starting with you on this one mate yeah um, so for me personally at this era I think the best measurement is time right? because the market is really effective and you have to share in a new product or doing a feature list on the existing product you need to be ahead of your competition so the fine to market is one of the biggest measurement you can come up with it means like you should deliver a workable and visible consumer friendly feature but the technical stack should empower your team to like release the like faster with the time to market then after that the second it would be how easy you can maintain it and how easy you can become an expert then like as an individual developer category in the team or as the whole team then i would think the next comes the performance and the scalability of the technical stack so yeah so this is just my opinion so there are other factors into it like the licensing the vendors except your computers etc but those three are very big because otherwise you will be spending a lot of time with too much optimization of like very time consuming things of the things that's not a problem yet that can be become the future but you should have better technical depth uh, handling mechanism there but still i would think that i have market is a very uh, good indicator of like how much technical risk can support with you yeah that's it thank you Darshana. christian over to you have you got anything to add yeah i actually think it's a a great way of thinking about it the the whole time to market or the time it takes to develop it or how you want to flip it um because it is kind of not only does it tell you how much time you actually spend researching it but it also tells you what actually went into it how complex is it right um and i think a problem is with, with a lot of things it, it becomes too complex in some cases right uh we choose a tool that we used to or something else uh, that ends up being more complex doing the thing um that you actually want to accomplish uh what, one of the things i remember is we actually had to uh, we wanted to make we, we basically built this uh, ad tool uh basically for emails for adding yeah basically images into emails that would to transmute depending on your preferences and those kind of things um and we kind of end up ended up in a decision where we had to choose phantom jazz or casper jazz um and we actually kind of haphazardly jumped on that choice uh just i think we went with phantom because yeah one of us had tried that before so we went with it um and i think luckily we actually ended up being successful with it in the end it was actually quite a short journey to get to where we wanted to go um but we could just have e- as easily have chosen casper jazz because if you pull it out of a hat and we actually found out later that if we had done that uh because we wanted to do some testing in regards to that that some of the things that we actually ended up doing with phantom js with images isn't possible to do in the same easy way with casper js or at least it wasn't at the time because it didn't have the same kind of image support um so it was just a, an interest interesting happenstance right um so i definitely think in in this particular one it would have been very crucial because we would have ended up basically having to build the feature ourselves right well shana you've got your hands up there you got something to add yeah like actually there was a funny thing that i thought that i just wanted to mention uh because uh, one of the point i want to highlight is like 
how much understanding you have about technically stuck, but that helps you to deliver uh, use of the product to the market because I, I so the low story short, some time ago, we wanted to develop a tool that measures doing trade dispute. So, so the same thing like that we use like inter dispute tests that uh, powered by Opla. Like usually make that where you go to like measure, hey, do I get you know uh, inter dispute for me to like I don't know what some that is so. So it's so the noise story short is uh, so in this situation like. We want to measure the user's integrity speed to like allow them uh, are their location and their setup is feasible to do remote work, like for tools for this evaluation. Uh, so, so I, I joined the half sale of the product. So they had selected the electron JS. So, uh, so that allow you to like develop a desktop application, which is actually running on top of Chrome browser, right? So to like. Uh, develop the list of or tool, and then you have uh, some object storage like S3, and you measure the download speed using like try to download and do a couple of time get average and try to write it back. So the upload, and after some time, the, the users are complaining, Hey, in this week, just show me like I have 116 BPS, but we're to give me like I don't know 30 MBPS. So the results are wrong, right. So the, the problem with that is measuring the internet speed test is not speed is not that simple because there are like seven layers of OSI module when it's come to delivery of packs from the server to the receiver. So each variable is speed and so so many other variables. So just it's not about uploading and downloading. So then I did quick research on how the internet speed. That's like provided by Octoverse. So what they do is actually they can have their respective, like let's say I use it now, like uh, uh, it is yes. So using my respective data, they determine, okay, this is my input satisfier. Right? So using that, they have this, uh, I think some kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, agreement with the internet service providers. So, they give you the respective server that which I, my browser client should use to like download and upload. So always you get the basic speech and this is all the globe. So comparing that kind of infrastructure with the simple infrastructure that we find, obviously we 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 will give you uh, uh, not that much uh, satisfiable results. So I just want to emphasize on the fact that like doing a quick Google search on how to measure upload and download is not enough like for anything you need to have the expertise on that uh technical stack that to uh to like uh look at something or like you start developing something you need to have that understanding like that help you with the time to market as well um, so i just want to grab that piece of information thanks darshana aaron have you got an answer to your own question yep <laughs> I think given uh, that in the local ISP, a couple of ISP in India does the same thing. So uh, if you use any Netflix or Prime, so most of you, the movies or the TV show, they'll just cache it in the local service and you'll get the data from there. So that will save a lot of money for the Maslint. And uh, time to market motivates, you know, to focus on the viable feature, like, you know, focus on what is really important to go to market, build that 
feature and create a buzz and seize a movement. If uh, the right feature has been released, then people will start using it, then you will get a better feedback that will directly help you to scale up the product and like you know improve on the adaptability. So uh, I think some day eight years back, I have uh, worked on one uh, project which which is a very I think around uh, we had around uh, uh, one million registered user uh, within three months of time. So it's specific to uh, Indian cricket Premier League. Uh, so we had around uh, eighteen days to twenty days to develop the entire uh, front end, and uh, during that time, Jake Furry was very popular and uh, React was just picking up. So I just convinced my team, okay, we'll go with React because uh, we have tried in some uh, projects earlier and we saw the outcomes. But here, the ch change in technology, we just thought, okay, this, we can able to achieve it uh, with the requirement. On top of that main thing, uh, which we saw as a big uh, difference is the reusability. So when you use a jQuery, you're just piloting your DOM a lot. And... Uh, if you the the shared DOM concept was introduced with in the React period, and it uh, helped you to like you know have a clean code and much more reusable elements. So with that, uh, even the performance we were able to see much improvement, and uh, the amount of code uh, we reused was a uh, lot better than what we did with the Shakeberry, and uh, the shorted amount of time uh, we are able to achieve easily, and. Uh, while long-term benefits are crucial for a project, it is equally vital to choose a tech stack that can be tailored to meet the project timelines and the effective reach to the intended audience as soon as possible. Yeah. Amazing. Thanks, guys. Um, a great question there, Aaron. Darshana, I believe we're moving on to, to our final question of the podcast, which is yours. Uh, you're posing to both the panel and the listeners, what is your strategy or approach towards solving human feasibility problems, limitations, when it comes to selecting a technology or a tech stack? Um, same as always, we'll come to you for some you know, some context around it. Yeah, so so uh, what I can ask is, let's say you found a very well, uh, like eligible technology stacks to solve your problem. Be a technology stack or piece of technology. So, if that the case, is there any human feasibility issues that when it's come to like lack of projects in technical stack or something like that? How, how do you approach this? Because this kind of occurrence doesn't happen every day, but it happens. And this happens during a very crucial time of the business as well. So, so how, how, how do you, what is your approach to like rectifying situation? So that's the question that I have. Amazing. Thank you, Dashana. Christian, it's your turn to kick us off. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've actually ever really thought about it much uh, before I actually read the question. It's one of those things where it, it, it makes a lot of sense uh, when Dashana actually asked the question, but it's not really something I've seen a lot of people actually think about in their designs. And one of the interesting problems that we've actually run into recently is we have a ton of people we are onboarding onto the Atlassian stack, uh, different companies, all these kind of things. And we have a bunch of people who have never really tried or never really worked with the Atlassian stack that just gets tossed into it, right? And they kind of 
are very much left to their own devices to kind of fend for themselves in the in this whole thing and it, it kind of builds this kind of because we didn't handle it in the beginning um then it kind of creates this whole subculture where everybody's kind of doing things a little bit their own way right or finding solutions inside of the system uh because they don't necessarily know this feature exists or whatever so it, it's actually it's definitely very interesting especially because uh for our case, we're actually talking uh, technical people in some cases, right? And even people who have technical know-how, who are used to working in programs, can have problems with software they're not used to, right? Uh, or text tags, for that matter, uh, if you're not used to, for example, React. Um, that can become kind of daunting, especially if you haven't worked with libraries like it before. Um, and sometimes you can get bogged down. We actually also had, uh, back when, uh, I can't even remember what Google's... Uh, framework was called they kind of had a like something like react long time ago and i think it's changed name like three times since angular yes exactly angular and we 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 jumped on angular 1.0 right um and that was a whole mess <laughs> that was that those time we just called angular js yeah yes exactly yeah, yeah. i played uh, 1.5 it was uh, much better than 1.1 yeah, but uh, what one point one like it? It yeah, it almost required you to have some sort of degree in uh, figuring it out what all the modeling and sub modeling and mappings and and if you made one thing wrong, you were absolutely screwed. Thank you for that, Christian. Aaron, have you got anything to add for Toshana's question? Yeah, yeah, I think two way binding is a mess, and and just want so. Uh, we don't usually have a best developer across the team. Like sometimes we might have a balance in the team. Some sometimes we just need to identify the lack of skill and try to like you know encourage them to fit where they can contribute well. And also the balance can be created. It's like a certain developers, let's say if they are good at project management, they can also focus partially on that area and also facilitate the team by uh, like getting a requirement and converting into a technical story then work on the feature which they are keen on building and sometimes we all always have a developer who's fully technical and they just want to build feature not much into uh like you know the the management discussion so so for them just you know uh, like help work with them and create a interesting uh, project and the technology so that will be uh, that will bring a good outcome so creating a framework using a modular uh, component will feel like increase efficiency and also the result will be with uh, the neat and clean code and it will speed up the development and uh, so if you we might always have a number of people which we need in the team but we just have to live with what we have and what over the team size we have with that we just try to create a unique product where we don't have to re keep repeating the same code again and again so create a reusability aspect is possible that will help a lot with a feasibility problem and also if we have a team where uh, the entire team member understand the the purpose of a product why we are building that product and uh, what is the vision of the product that will uh, ensure the team to focus on the co-creative and finding out the best technology which will uh, fulfill the the product needs and also uh, I think in the previous question we have discussed on the uh, time to market in constructing the product based on the feedback will be more efficient than 
simply like deciding a bunch of feature and just working on it later releasing the customer may not be able to understand the feature or the feature may not be relevant for them yeah so that's my thing thank you Aaron Dalshana the buck is passed back round to you all right so I I, I try to like uh, ask some of a question with like running given two examples so like with for past couple I remember six to eight years I have never exercised the limitation of the technical stack that I am like what I had to say is let's say I be an absolute garbage collector and car gone jar so the garbage collector use some kind of algorithm to like tweak the inventory that already doesn't pick up anymore like I don't stop world algorithm or something like freeze the program execution quickly do it things reclaim the memory and user doesn't notice it because it's happening very uh tedious timing time like microseconds and also question right so so i never wanted to consider that hey this is not fast form. like do it in this period or, like i haven't done that kind of a low level culture I, I never knew that but there can be a time it becomes a, so this just one now these candidates like from a business side so let's say you are nowadays cloud is a big right everybody hosting their services in cloud so let's say you have a cloud pride called a this your go-to person your guy like you have a really good relationship with them but out of the blue like they say hey from within like a month or two we're gonna like increase the price in the whole services so this doesn't comply with your budget right so you need to move all of your services that you've got a much better deal and so this, this let's say this business vision is like not going back you have to do it because they are very become very expensive and not flexible enough to give you this card right so you have to move it to other card for the card 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 b so in in those situations like if your current team is engine team is only uh or like uh have the capability or like the expertise on one technical stack and doesn't matter use the how to how to use the product or something like that for something else so these upcoming things like it's already in your plan right so so you need it in your, in your product pipeline hey by this time to resolve this issue we can move to something else or something like that. so when that happens i think to solve the what happens in the mutation your team have your team doesn't have enough expertise on that one or maybe you need to hire people who have expertise on that one those kind of anything like that can be preventable by having much better engineering culture that that would uh the world like self-learning like for an example nowadays it's it's a trend that not of time the company purchased the app of the company like pride some kind of uh, online learning materials like some a plural site account you didn't hear or like or, a, or some kind of a learning platform so and most of the time on Fridays on like like a three to four hours per week like give you a learning time period like looking into this kind of do sometimes like hey uh, look at this kind of a technical stack it's just see that how it can benefit our product packing one so if it is part of the engineering culture kind of a second nature you at the end point you are not afraid it afraid to like move to different technical establish that makes sense to you because empowered with learning that helps you to do what it's not the only solution what i'm trying to say but it makes you people ready and always curious about upcoming trends and the new trends and where it can go at least it has sound knowledge about it so this kind of empowering part of the engineering culture 
it make it easier to like resolve human feasibility issues uh, like until until it becoming to the very moment very end you can you can resolve it before it happen so yeah this is my process coming all right if you got something to add to that one yeah so in my previous company uh, every friday around two hours uh, we usually spend on the tech discussion like in a one week uh, uh, we discuss on what technology currently we have and what is upcoming trend and the uh, one week we discuss on uh, roast my code like you know so developers will just randomly show their code and we'll start like you know uh, giving uh, feedback on the code itself and also this will uh, like you know create a like mood and also take the criticism in a much positive way so this help us to okay understand where we are and also uh, how others are seeing the code like you can gain the perception from others and uh, yeah that should be a good place to like a network with each other it's not to share your ideas and get an inputs and uh, so even when you are working in different project uh, sharing this kind of information will help you to just think part okay this time you might have faced this issue okay let's reach out to this person and get us input so it will create a much better visibility for the period yeah. thank you Aaron Christian have you got anything to add uh not at the moment no basic guys well before we go into the, the to the conclusion of it all um wanted to give you all guys an opportunity if there's anything else you wanted to highlight we've obviously um gone through quite a lot today uh time to market seems to be one of the biggest uh, things that keeps coming up but when selecting tech stacks is there anything else you wanted to add any other questions for each other darshana uh, so the only thing i could say is like when you scout for technology there's no 100% correct answer it's always depends so the depends is the answer so in that Yes, I think selecting a technical stack is not the short Okay, this is 2013, I selected a technical stack. It doesn't prevent you from growing, evolving with the with the product needs over the years. So I think selecting a technical stack is not a one-comitric, like it's not, it's a journey. Mm. So you learn, you fall back, you learn from it, and then overcome those challenges, and that's how it goes, right? So I think from engineering culture perspective there's the that should be part of like it should be part of your dna like it's okay to fail and you can pick up from this so, this should be more mature and very well teams because even how much it doesn't matter how much you master of the technology because the this this software engineering is a very huge field like it's it or dynamic every changes so that can do always something that you learn that and it's rather than this need that you can do better like that's the only thing you can do right so it's not a one thing it's a journey so, so you just need to enjoy the journey like try, don't try to be a like judge on no argument say hey i said i was wrong or choose that technology not that you learn from it you are coming and you continue I, i think that's the best thing can it's a fantastic way to look at it christian you got your hand up there to add something yeah uh what does shana said also reminded me of the whole Uh, how important it actually is also to go back and revisit your decisions right um and how important maintenance actually is at the end of it all and taking time for maintenance looking through what 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 has been and if there's anything that should be different going forward right um because the it's it also often goes with the tech stacks that if you're not on top of it or if you're not looking through your decisions over the years then um you might end up in a situation where something gets decommissioned um and you're not even aware of it at the time and then you end up with 
these technical depth things that become monsters of their own, right? Yep. Very fast and learn fast. That's it. Thanks. Well, guys, I don't think there's a better point to finish on. So I think we'll leave it there for today. This has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. Really like to take the opportunity to thank Aaron, Doshana, and Christian for both the fantastic questions, but also the incredible insights into both the topics. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get involved in one of the upcoming podcasts, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, or you can do it via email at sam.williamson at evolution-nordics.com. But for now, see you next time. Thanks, guys.